Welcome to Hallmarked Up with Mary and Sarah. Welcome back to Hallmarked Up with Mary and Sarah. We are joined today by an extremely appropriate guest for today's <laughs> film selection. Andrew Dude, or Dude as we often call him, is both a Tennessean and a film professor. So we will get his expertise not only from a cinematic point of view, but also from the point of view of cultural, geographic, linguistic, etc. accuracy. Welcome, welcome, dude. Thank you. Thank you both for having yes. me. Yes, oh, we're excited. I have driven just to be back in Tennessee so I could watch this movie for, for to really sit in the mana of this entire thing. So um, <laughs> I, I guess I should mention the movie that we're watching, and it is A Nashville Christmas Carol. And so shall we start by summing this up? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, give us give us a recap, Mary. H- how right. does how do they do a Christmas Carol in Nashville? All Walmart? right, guys, feel free to jump in to help me out. The main character is one Vivian, who is the producer of a show called A Country Christmas, and film production is her passion, clearly. And she has applied for a job in Los Angeles producing something else. It's actually really unclear to me what that was. I forget. But I don't. They keep. They keep calling it the Icon Icon Music Awards, which could be yes. a stand-in for literally anything. Right. Or she's up for a job producing something big in Los Angeles. Her little sister, Georgia, is mad that she would consider leaving Nashville, even though Georgia herself is set to go off to law school. And, you know, she's like, well, she's like, well, what would I be leaving? And she's like, the memories. How could you leave the memories? So anyways, Georgia also works for her, by the way. This is going to become relevant. And she and Georgia have a very close relationship. So she's producing this year's Country Christmas, Country Christmas Live. Is that what it was? Yes, Country Christmas Live, which is hilarious, also hilariously not live at all. It's completely pre-taped. And this year, an interesting thing is happening on A Country Christmas Live because their opener, who is supposed to be the biggest star of the show, is one Belinda Manis. And what's important about Belinda Manis is not only that she is a country music superstar, but also that her manager is one Gavin, who was Vivian's childhood best friend, and they clearly had feelings for each other, but there were hurt feelings, and they haven't seen each other in a decade. And so here we are. Country Christmas Live was apparently founded by country star Marilyn Jinway, played by Winona Judd, played by, is it just me, guys, or an extremely, like, wooden Winona Judd, who can't, like, say anything with an ounce of feeling to save her life? Oh, absolutely not. Well, you know, she's not quite an actor, shall we say. Right, so, sure. You know, we'll give her that. But that's not I, what she, she has been actor. in other things, I believe. So yeah. I think so, too. Anyway, I... Her sister has done a fair lot more acting than yes. she has. Yeah. Yes. Ashley Judd is like probably more famous for her acting than her singing, where her sister yeah. is more famous for her singing than her acting, shall we say. So anyway, so Marilyn Jinway apparently founded and produced for years Country Christmas Live, and she's the one who initially hired Vivian, but Marilyn is now dead, and Vivian is now in charge. Yeah, big, big important part, the fact that Marilyn's extremely dead. Yes, exactly. First line of the movie should have been, first of all, Marilyn was dead. Yeah, that was a bit of a surprise. But, But of course, this movie is not without Marilyn, though. So let's just say this movie should have started with a voiceover, which it didn't, stating Marilyn was dead. 
to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. The register of her burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. So, Marilyn was in fact dead. However, maybe not as dead as we thought. Because she is going to appear as the Jacob Marley of this movie. That's right. That's oh my right. gosh, I just got that. Marilyn Marley. And her last name started with the J too, right? Jinwei. Yeah. yeah. So Jacob Marley, Marilyn Jinwei. You know, can I admit to something here? Mm-hmm. For knowing that this movie was called The Nashville Christmas Carol, until earlier today when I watched it, and until the point of the of the reveal that I'm sure is about, I didn't realize this was going to be actually an adaptation of A Christmas Carol until like uh, it happened. And I was like, wait a second, hold on. Yeah. I just thought this was a play on music words. I mean, it could have been that too. It could have been that too. Now we can discuss how good of an adaptation of Dickens' oh, Christmas Carol will. was. We oh, will. And we will. We will. But, yes. So anyways, so Winona Judd in the form of Marilyn Jinway appears as our Jacob Marley, our Virgil of the Underworld, as you will. She tells Vivian that she has rounded up some of her spirit friends and that they will be visiting with her over the next few days. And so first we meet the spirit of Christmas past, who is a man in a cowboy hat with an accent and a guitar named Pat. And, played, uh, by, played by play, uh, Kix Brooks, Brooks of the, of the, of the, of the duo Brooks and Dunn. Correct. Very, I would dare say the second most famous person in the movie. You could even say most famous depending on which part of the world you're asking. I don't know much about Brooks and Dunn, but I have to admit, I thought he did a decent job in the acting department for a guy that wasn't really an actor. Absolutely. Because they basically just were like, please just remember these lines and just do your thing and they just kind of pointed him in a direction and said go like I, you know there wasn't right. a lot of right it was a lot of heavy direction and like rehearsal so the first right. thing that pat the ghost of christmas past takes vivian to see is the christmas when she got her first camera and she was filming her first quote-unquote show and it's basically just her like on her porch hanging out with her best friend gavin at the age of like 10, filming little Georgia doing a cute little dance to a Christmas carol. And so here is where we learn that Gavin was in fact her childhood best friend. Next we get flashbacks to her relationship with Gavin. And an interesting thing to note, and I have noted this with many Hallmark movies this year, is that the actors playing Gavin and Vivian in their past scenes seem to have actual chemistry, which is not at all a given for Hallmark movies. More often than not, you get to the end feeling like they like each other about as much as like siblings with a poor relationship do. But this they they seemed they seemed to go well together. So, you know, that props for that. They got some actual actors this year, I guess. And they were both famous too, right? Vivian and Gavin. He was from Dawson's Creek, you said Sarah? Yes. He played Jack, who was a brother of someone on there who dated Katie Holmes' character for a while. He was a re- pretty regular guy on Dawson's Creek. And Vivian, is she from something? I was looking at it. She's kind of in the same boat as the as the actor for Gavin. Like a lot of like like a lot of single episode parts and lots of like network shows. Like mm-hmm. she had like an episode stint on like Once Upon a Time. You know what? She did play a character in incidentally the show Nashville. Uh, oh, like yes, she did. I saw that too. So perhaps that was the impetus for her casting in this particular movie. So, anyways, so Vivian and Gavin in the past have actual chemistry, and they do. Anyways, so after the childhood scenes and then some scenes of Vivian and Gavin chemistry, we get the scene of what Vivian describes as the worst night of her life. Because what happens on the worst night of Vivian's life is that Gavin brings her to this party with fancy music industry people. 
And he learns that he has landed this job representing Belinda Manis and that they have together landed her this contract with this important record deal. And he has promised Vivian that if he were to get this job, she could direct Belinda's first video. So at one point, Vivian is talking to Gavin's new boss. And honestly, I think it's a bit bold of her to like bring this up at this point. Because it is a bit like nepotistic to just be like, oh yeah, my best friend's going to direct this video, but whatever. And just starts saying, oh yeah, well, I've got some really good ideas for the video. And he's like, yeah, you're not doing that. Like we need someone with more experience. Sorry, we're not going to let you do this. So she sees this as Gavin refusing to stand up for her to said boss and kind of like throwing her under the bus and she never forgives him. And then he moves to LA shortly afterwards and then a decade passes before they see each other again. Meanwhile, we learned that things didn't actually go that way, that he actually really did try to stand up for her and was unsuccessful in doing so. And the boss was just a dick. Like, it's really hilarious the fact that like, not a like if you've been promised this thing, I get being upset that like, oh, like, yeah, you, you said one thing and now you're you're backtracking. That's a thing to be upset by for like a week. But the other thing about this supposedly worst night of her life is that's the night she meets Marilyn Jinway, who just like on the spot offers her this job with Country Christmas Live. And again, this is supposedly the worst night of her life. OK, the one that gave her this incredibly like successful career. And That's along right. with that incredibly successful career, gave her some like extremely weird like pseudo girl power pep talk about how like she can do it. It's like the Little Mermaid and like like Ariel getting swept up by Ursula, but if Ursula was played by Winona Judd. That's a good well, comparison. And she definitely has a bit of a she has a bit of that look too, so I could see that happen. So, anyways, next we have the spirit her. of Christmas present, and also they don't call them ghosts; they call them spirits. I don't know. Have we? I bet you somebody did like a focus group. Somebody focus grouped the words like "ghost of Christmas past and present" and decided that like they didn't work well in 2020 or something, and we're calling them spirits now. I don't know. Ghosts make people think too much about dying, so we gotta get in the Christmas spirit. Spirits. That's it. That's true, because something we forget about the original Christmas Carol is that, like, it is all the things we associate with it, and that's that it is adorable and heartwarming and, like, warm and fuzzy and all that, but it's also extremely dark in certain ways, and the fact that it manages to combine those things is actually kind of what makes it great. So anyway, so we have the spirit, not ghost of Christmas present, who is a lady in an extravagant red evening gown with a, also a, a strong southern accent who calls Vivian sugar. And I don't know if... This uh, ghost had a name. Did she have a name? No, I think she was. Just I don't think she. She, she said, "Just be the Christmas present." Now she had a terrible accent that was really bad. This oh. is played by Kimberly <laughs> Williams Paisley, who is the sister of a girl who's on lots of these movies, Ashley Williams. But she's also married to Brad Paisley, who is a very oh, famous go. country oh. singer. Almost guaranteed. And and of course, famously was. Probably her most famous role was she was in Father of the Bride when the, oh. the remake of the part. Okay. Cool. And then, of course, Father yeah. of the Bride part two as well. Um, probably her most famous movie she was in. Well, thank you for doing this research, Sarah. Oh, I know stuff like this. You know, really. yeah. <laughs> you didn't have to research it. You just. So, anyway, no, no, so the no. first thing that the ghost of Christmas present shows her, I'm sorry, the spirit of Christmas present. I'm going to call her Sugar Lady because she just calls her Sugar all the time. And that to me is. <laughs> Her defining characteristic. So the first thing that Sugar Lady call, tell, shows her, shows Vivian, is that little sister Georgia is hooking up on the set with, with uh, Vivian's employee Parker. Um, yeah, and when I say hooking up, manager. 
Yeah, the stage manager. Thank you. And when I say hooking yeah. up, I do mean this in the most hallmark sense possible. Like, I'm not sure we even see them kiss. It's something like they're on the set and he puts his hands on her arms and they both smile at each other and we understand that they're in love. That moment is so... Um, I sat up in my chair and was like, oh my God, is this happening? Because the most brilliant part of that is that, and it's really worth, like, if you were, if anyone decides to watch this movie, it's really that this moment is one of the great gems of this, is that it's completely the moment from Ghost, right? Like the, the pottery moment from Ghost, except in this case, it's Hallmark and Christmas. So it is wrapping like an overly wrought lace bow on a, on a present on this TV set. Uh, but he's like <laughs> ghosting, but he's like Swayze ghosting it. Is what he's doing. It's truly remarkable. So anyways, apparently they've been dating for six and a half months and they haven't told her because they're afraid that she'll freak out. And so I think what Vivian is supposed to take from this is that she needs to calm the fuck down because everyone's afraid to tell her shit because she'll freak the fuck out. After that, we are at the party, uh, the cast party, the crew party. I don't know what they called it. I think they called it the crew party that happens the night before shooting of this live event that is not live. Extremely, ex extremely inaccurate yeah. to any any set I've run or any production I've run because, my God, you don't you 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 have a rap party after the thing wraps, and then everyone can chill out, not have a party where everyone's supposed to drink and hang out the night but the night before, you have to execute on the like, it's like oh yeah, let's just get everybody nice and drunk the night before the most important day in this entire year for us. Right, that seems really counterintuitive. It just seems to assume that everyone's a responsible adult who's absolutely not going to get a hangover. Well, it which, is Hallmark, so it's all sparkling apple juice. That's true. Oh, it's definitely of course, of course. it's definitely sparkling apple juice. And anyway, so at this party, we learn a couple of things. First of all, Vivian got the promotion for the Icon Music Awards. And secondly, her boss, Henry, who gave her the promotion also asks her to break it to Belinda and by extension Belinda's manager Gavin that Belinda will no longer be the opener because Belinda represents the past and this new younger country sensation Alexis is now going to be the opener. Played by yeah. country singer Ray Lynn. Was Belinda famous too? The actress? Uh, Sarah, or yeah Sarah uh -huh. Evans also famous country star. Okay thank you. See I don't know country music so. I barely. <laughs> What kind of a Tennessean are you? Well, we'll get into that. So Alexis is replacing Belinda, and as opener, Belinda's going to be pushed to another time slot, which is devastating. Also, Alexis seems to really admire Belinda. This is something that came out earlier. There was a scene between the two of them. Um, it's clear that they get along. So Vivian breaks the news to Gavin, who says, like, well, let me break the news to Belinda. And by the way, this is supposed to, I'm sure, be this really poetic sort of thing where, like, she has to betray him for her career the same way that he betrayed her for, for his career. So she breaks it to Gavin. He says, let me break it to Belinda. And then she is that night, like, she runs into Belinda and she's like, you know, I just want to say I'm so sorry. You're still going to have a great spot. And apparently he hadn't told Belinda yet, which, by the way, this is the most predictable thing to happen. Then suddenly Belinda, like, disappears and they can't find her. Presumably she's run off to cry somewhere. Next, we find out that Alexis has disappeared and they can't find her. Well, good thing that we have a ghost of Christmas present who knows where the fuck everyone is. And so ghost of, of Christmas present swoops back in and takes Vivian to the main square of Nashville. And here I want to interrupt for just a second and ask, dude, am I correct that they seem to have actually filmed some of these scenes in Nashville? Uh, so a fun thing about that, 
I think they filmed pretty much all of it in Nashville, which is not what I was expecting to happen. No, because Hallmark doesn't usually do that. They usually film everything in Vancouver. Yeah. Now, well, okay, can, according to IMDb, though, they filmed a lot in Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah, that makes my sense. research. They so my guess is to to break out a little bit of the uh, insider knowledge on how film production works. They definitely got. They definitely filmed some of it in Nashville. Probably a lot of the interiors were probably filmed in North Carolina because mm-hmm. North Carolina is a among southern states is one of the better ones for like tax breaks in terms of film production companies. Interesting. Uh, the, I, I'm a little surprised they didn't film in Georgia because that's actually like the big film production hub in this part of the country. At least some of the exteriors were filmed in Nashville. It's all stock from the one day in the last three years where snow actually stuck in Nashville. Because let me tell you, they don't snow much in Nashville. I, they, I actually did a job with it down in Nashville, and it was in January, and it snowed the first day we were there, and they it barely dusted the ground, and they closed schools for two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds right. The idea that there's five days, because that's like how long this film takes, like five days of snow sticking to the ground in Nashville is absolutely absurd. That's the biggest miracle in this movie. I think this mysterious but ever so important Nashville Christmas Festival that they keep coming back to, that probably was all shot Charlotte, North Carolina. The Musicians Hall of Fame, that also is Nashville. We'll, we'll get to that. I have, I have comments on that one. I've been there, actually. Really? Um, yeah. So anyways, to bring us back to our story. So now we're at this Nashville Christmas Festival or whatever it was. And that, of course, is where both Alexa and Belinda have ended up. And we see Alexa, Alexis, Alexis and Belinda having like a heart to heart about, you know, their careers and how much they admire each other or something. I don't know. And then they end up singing karaoke together out in the square and they blow everyone away. And that, of course, gives Vivian the million-dollar idea that's going to make everybody happy and bring about our happy <laughs> ending, which, of course, is to have them do the intro together. The hard-to-find so, hard conclusion of a duet. You would never expect it. At which point, good old Marilyn Jinwei shows up again, and Vivian's all like, well, thank you for sending your ghost friends. Like, they were really helpful. They helped me figure out my life. I assume there's a ghost of Christmas future coming. To which Marilyn responds that there is not because, and I quote, the future is whatever we make it. Oh, there's the even better part of that quote, which is the so- it's like something about the song that's yet, uh, that's yet unwritten. And oh, I God. just rolled my eyes into space. Because, <laughs> like, here's the thing. Anyone exactly. who's read the, A Christmas Carol or watched any of the adaptations ever, either good ones or bad ones, knows that, like... The point of having a ghost of Christmas future is that the future is whatever you make it. You have the ghost to show you one possible outcome and then to realize that like Scrooge has the power to change that. So to like not include a ghost of Christmas future on the grounds that the future is whatever we make it because the song is yet unwritten or whatever, total cop out. It's also, I will say, there's one really important part of the whole thing with with uh, with Sugar Lady, ghost of Christmas present. There's a point where, and we'll get to the fact that this is a, even though I've, I have very little experience in Hallmark, this this one seems to have just enough of a eye, like ironic eye towards itself that it's like vaguely self aware. Which there's a point where right like before she finds before she finds these two uh, like the two stars having run off to do t- karaoke and feel their feelings, 
Our, do karaoke our, and feel their feelings. Intre Intrepid hero Vivian is asking Ghost of Christmas Present, Sugar Lady. Like, well, okay, I see, I get it. You know, I am like, she's like immediately clocks herself on like all her character flaws. Like, oh, I get it. I'm a workaholic who put, who compulsively pushes away everybody I care for because I'm too uh, because I'm too because I'm too afraid of letting go of any control, and it's gonna make me miserable. Is that what she wanted to hear? And the and the ghost is like, well, that's awful big of you to admit, but no, that's not the point. If you were a bad person, we wouldn't have bothered. The reason I'm showing you all this is because you're a good person. They wrote themselves into a corner because imagine the insanity that would be if they had that line. And then followed it with a ghost of Christmas future who's like, here is your grave where you will die alone and miserable, which would be extremely funny. But I think they, they had just enough awareness of like, oh, we wrote ourselves into a corner where there's no way we can justify a ghost of Christmas present or Christmas future. So we're going to have to, you know, have Winona Judd cop us out on this one, boys. All right. So then where do we end up? So we have the duet or whatever. What, and then, what's yeah. next? And then we wrap on Country Christmas Live and Vivian, we wrap on Country Christmas Live to an empty studio. So anyways, and then Vivian turns down the promotion on the grounds that she doesn't want to move to L.A. And boss Henry tells her, oh, well, then I guess you'll rack up a lot of frequent flyer miles, meaning that he's going to let her take the job but still live in Nashville. And she is thrilled and it's a happy ending that, like, makes everyone happy. And then... She turns to Gavin, and I don't remember what she says, but you can, like, you could write the script yourself, and it would be extremely close to what she actually says. And then they kiss under the fucking mistletoe. And then credits. And then it was it. That's a good bingo! Congratulations! Obviously, we have a lot to say about this one. But let's get straight into some of our regularly scheduled segments. I'm going to start with my bingo moment and potentially because it's a cop out and you guys will say you can't say that. But one of the things I usually enjoy about this style of movie is the Christmas Carol concept altogether. I always like, you know, even it's a wonderful life is sort of it's a Christmas Carol-esque. Anytime they get a chance to see their life again and how they could have done it different. That is a fun concept for me. I do think they didn't do this one quite right because I, I think that missing out on the future was a bit bleh, but they're trying to do it different. I get that. But I think the Christmas Carol concept, it's definitely done at least once or twice a Hallmark season, I would say. So that's my bingo moment. What about you, May? My bingo moment was at some point in the middle, this was not in our summary, sorry, she mentions to Gavin that she doesn't have a Christmas tree yet because she keeps buying Christmas trees, but then they keep ending up on the set. And so she finally gets a Christmas tree and then he shows up at her house with a box full of ornaments oh, and yes. insists yes. that they decorate it together. And that is the most Hallmark thing to happen yeah. in a while. Ridiculous. Oh, it's, Ridiculous. It's, it's so good. What Bye. about you, dude? What's your bingo moment? I think I've got three, actually, now that I think about it. All little ones. In, ter in terms of just, like, sheer Christmassy Christmasness, there is the, I think, five or six different times they, by name, mention Peppermint Brittle. Oh, yes. Many they, times. Oh, That's a good like, call. Were they sponsored by... Were, was this movie produced by Big Peppermint? Because we need to follow the money down this. <laughs> I... I, that's a good call. They did talk about it like it was the only thing you could eat at Christmas. I Which agree. Is, it, that's not a Tennessee thing, I can tell you, because I have not 
had that. So it's just like so, whoever penned the script must just have this like intense desire for people to know more about pe uh, peppermint brittle. But also the uh, the obligatory popcorn stringing scene. That, oh yes. Where where Vivian now with the magical knowledge of her si of her sister's romance confronts her about it, and they end up being on more on you know, of course better terms afterwards, and they of course start throwing popcorn at each other. And also while they're in like form-fitting Christmas pajama onesies that show off their figure, like as hu as regular humans do, if we're talking about like suburbs of Nashville, which is absolutely where these people would be living, they probably live in this town, Franklin, which is like where all the upper middle, like upper middle class, like professional managerial class types it, uh, around Nashville generally live. Like the house, the, the exterior of that house is like, I looked, looked at that and I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's Nashville suburbs to a T. Like that house is everywhere. Accurately what that scene would be is maybe they are in fact streaming popcorn, but they're in sweats and they are uh, drinking copious amounts of red wine is what a typical Nashville like suburbanite would be doing. There is, there's one other little thing and this one's less directly Christmas and more what I expect to happen in a Hallmark movie. Let's hear it. But, the one of the many points where where people are trying to get Vivian and, and Gavin back together while they're while she still is is mad at him. Georgia like you know badgers Vivian out to a like to a bar I think a bar that serves mulled cider and mulled cider alone. And then of course you know has like oops I also invited Gavin here what oh no oh I've got to go look at that you two have fun and then she's like hanging like hiding behind the wall of like the coat check and then sees them starting to excitedly argue with each other about something. And then she's like, you know, like the younger sisters in the foreground, just like smiling and like, yes, the plan worked. Like, yeah, that, a relative like, really awkwardly pushing the two main characters together is definitely a Hallmark trope. For sure. It's that definitely should be added one. to the bingo card. All I'm right, impressed so that we, about... we had five separate bingo moments and none of them were the mistletoe. Oh, true. True. All right. What about what about relatable? I actually did have one for this because even though it, they sort of pivoted away from it slightly, I definitely, as we've referred to in previous episodes, could be classified as one of those women that weirdly always did my job before I did anything else. Now, not to like the psychotic way that some of these women do it, <laughs> but I definitely put my career first, but I was able to travel all over the world and do amazing things. And I have no regrets about that at any point in my life. And I didn't ever physically choose a man, choose my job over a man. I didn't do that either. They just kind of worked themselves out along the way. But I definitely put my job first in terms of what I enjoyed doing more than anything was my job always. And so I kind of associated with that a little bit, even though she was like a bit too much of a control freak for my liking. Uh, we've said it before and we've said it again. Hallmark movies are made about Sarah. <laughs> very, very true. I keep waiting for the, the, the Hallmark ending, but it's just not there yet. It's all good. It's all good. It could happen. It could happen. Dude, what was your relatable moment? Mine, so mine ties into an assessment of how accurate this movie is to the, to the life of your average Tennessean. And so the most relatable thing to, to me in this movie, and I should also say, like, I, I come from a family of people in a, like, sort of adjacent to the music industry, not more the bluegrass industry than the country industry, because we're, we're instrument builders, my family. 
But like, so even with somebody who has music industry ties, the most relatable to the, uh, relatable thing to this for me was was not the film set, was not the the music stuff, uh, was not even the city of Nashville, which would be the easy answer. Now it is the most relatable thing to me is how much of this plot is powered by sheer pettiness and insane grudge hole. Because that, <laughs> let's tell you, there is it, of this movie could take place anywhere else in the country. Like if you just change who like change the accents and change what genre of music, you could easily set it in L.A. or New York and it would absolutely work the same. But the one true the one thing that I think incidentally, probably on accident, rings the most true to me in this is the fact that like the entire conflict between Vivian and Gavin, uh, which are both extremely Nashville names, by the way, like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nashville is basic white chick as a city. At its, at its most core, like it, Nashville, like, and I love Nashville, don't get me wrong, but Nashville is the most basic city uh, at its, at its, in its worst. So like Vivian and Gavin as names is like, yep, that every Gavin I've ever met is from Nashville. So this reads, but no, it's the fact that like the entire conflict between these two is powered by the, uh, by a relatively minor misunderstanding over something that's actually should have been expected regarding their careers and that she holds a grudge against him for an entire decade and is then like incredibly petty and two-faced towards him later over it that's southern to a t baby that is that southern culture because that we we're a plus like first ballot champs at holding insane grudges for no reason oh fair enough i didn't know that mary what about you how could you relate to this nashville christmas carol Interestingly, my relatable moment was actually contained in one of dude's bingo moments, which is having ridiculous Christmas pajamas. So mine are not like sexy, but I do in fact have ridiculous Christmas pajamas. And there is in fact a set of said Christmas pajamas that in fact matches a set of pajamas that I have for my dog. That That is the... You, uh, Mary, you and Doxy are the Hallmark Christmas movie I want to see. Well, Mary, you and I also have matching pajamas. (laughs) That's true. We also have matching pajamas. Sarah and I both have, thanks to Sarah, we we both have pajamas that say, these are my Hallmark Christmas watching pajamas on them. (laughs) (laughs) We couldn't resist the after Christmas sale. (laughs) I think this is officially the moment, like, in... To quote, definitely adjacent to Hallmark movies, The Dark Knight. That moment where it's like, either you die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I think, like, <laughs> ye who fight monsters must become one. Like, I think this is that moment for you, too. I think it might be. It's like, true. despite true. not actually being sisters, Sarah and I could put on our matching pajamas and get in a popcorn fight. And, like, oh, that's a realistic We, we could. We could, yeah. for sure. Probably more realistic than me getting in a popcorn fight with my actual sister. Yeah, and one, one day, Mary, when, when everyone can read again, I think that's at the top of our list of things we need to do. We should do it. We should do it. All right. But there will definitely be more wine at ours. So, yeah, yeah. yeah speaking of relatable moments, dude, could you tell us what, what else you found, either accurate or not accurate, about the representation of, of Nashville here? So, in terms of, like... Because I took copious amounts of notes on like what what was like quintessentially Nashville and what was like completely inaccurate. I was really honestly hoping that this. A, I was hoping this movie would be worse. 
Uh, as weird as that is to say, I was really excited to have a movie that I could just sink my teeth into of like, oh, this is going to be absolute hot garbage. Like, I'm ready to tear this fucking thing to shreds. And I do think it was an above average Hallmark movie. It was like, okay. It was an okay movie. Like, I didn't feel like I wasted my two hours. I wouldn't, would I go watch it again for fun? Probably not. But like, it was inoffensively, like, inoffensively mid. It was mid, you know, like, fairly mid-tier. Like, it's, I've seen worse, you know? I've seen worse in the theaters, which is kind of the worst place a movie in this sort of genre can land, frankly, because it's like, ah, you're, you're not good enough to be amazing, but you're not bad enough for me to, like, have a delicious meal out of. All that aside, in terms of this, in the same sort of vein, I was expecting them to get a lot of things wrong, right? Like, I was expecting it to be like, oh, this is just going to be, like, woefully inaccurate, and, and I'll have so much to grab onto. And they really just because, again, like I said earlier, they doesn't, it totally could have been filmed anywhere else in the world. And they just could have changed the accents and the, and the music genre and made it work. So it's not really all that distinct to Nashville in a way that means that, like, they, it's really just like Nashville window dressing throughout this entire movie, yeah. which they really do lay on thick, though. The fact that, like, I counted, I think, at least three or four different times that we cut into scenes by, uh, like transition into a scene by cutting onto a like first the exterior of whichever place it is, then cut to you know a slightly out of focus close up that comes into focus to reveal a record on a record player. They do that like four uh, different times. Yeah, good it's catch. like oh, because we're Music City, everybody. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> um, <laughs> wonder if there's music in this one, folks. Definitely, they show a lot of aerial, like definitely stock aerial footage of the one time in the last year that, like, year or two that it has snowed any amount in Nashville, and they just they man they really get a lot of mileage out of that. So there's there's a surprisingly a large amount of this movie that takes place by this one really weird art sculpture down by the by the Cumberland River, which is this like oh. big weird red set of twisted train tracks basically. Which okay, is, like, right, I vaguely oh, yeah. remember that. Yep, yep, yeah. I remember. Yeah, I've been it's down like, there. I think like, even. Yeah. yeah it's, it's like this just thing that is in Nashville, and they just happen to shoot a lot of stuff there. So it's like, oh, that in the AT&T building. They did uh, relegate the mo- most like stereotypically Southern stuff to your to your two resident spirits of co- of Christmas past and present. That's where we. Those are the only places we get the really thick accents. It's the only place where we get the folksy Southern aphorisms, which I really like. Vivian is asking, like, oh, hey, coast of Christmas past. Like, why, why are you showing me all this stuff? Like, what's the point? And he says, and I quote, when a needle falls out of its groove, just takes a bit of a nudge to get it back into place. <laughs> yes, I remember. Which, oh, yes. A thing oh. literally anyone has ever said before? No, I don't think. And then she just kind of pauses for a sec, turns to him and says, you know, when you say these things, it makes it harder to understand. And I'm like, did, I'm sorry, did Hallmark just do irony? What? That's true. I'm, should oh, I be wow. proud or horrified that they're lying? It's becoming self-aware. It's becoming self-aware. We must put an end to it now. Now, so it's, again, it's like this weird, um, the occasional references to like famous country music names, like Loretta Lynn, they make a, probably the best joke in the entire movie is that they had, that one of them had this terrible cat named Emmy Lou Hairless, which is <laughs> brilliant, actually. There was. They definitely wrote this script with some of the biggest places in Nashville in mind. Because, like, the place where they're filming this, like, where they're, like, they're filming the, the country, like, uh, country Christmas Live, like, that amphitheater, I could definitely see them having thought of either the Opry, uh, the Opry, Grand Ole Opry stage, 
or mm-hmm. the Ryman, mm-hmm. which is like the most famous. The old Grand Old Opry. Yeah, the original Grand Old Opry and still like the most important music venue in Tennessee, which I mean, I know people mm-hmm. who've performed at the, at the Ryman. I've been to the Ryman. It's a beautiful place. It's, I, it's, I have it's, also been to the Ryman. It's gorgeous. And you could definitely tell that that's where they wanted to film and they did not have the budget for it. Or could not get the rights. So the way they frame it, like the when uh, I think it's like one of the first, like when they're showing Vivian's past, and it's her with, after she's taking this job with with Winona Judd, and it's like to produce that Christmas show, and it's the first time she's in the theater, and they keep cutting back to this shot behind the two of them with this grand, massive theater in front of them, and it's like, oh, you want this to be the Opry or the Ryman, mm, and you yeah. could not afford it. The other one, which I think is way more egregious, though, and way funnier, is that place you mentioned that you've been to, Mary, uh, the, the Musicians Hall of Fame, which I did not know existed and definitely thought was fake for the first half of the movie until I Googled it and was like, oh, no, it's real. And, well, no, sorry. Uh, I've been to the Country Music Hall of Fame in Nashville, and I assumed that that was what they were referencing. Exactly. So it turns out the Musicians Hall of Fame is a real place, so that, and it looks like they have good exhibits. This is not to knock the Musicians Hall of Fame at all. But, like, in scene two of the movie, it's, it's Vivian and Georgia walking out on a street with a very, very light dusting of snow on the sidewalk, which is like, yeah, that's about as much as you'll get in Nashville. And they're, like, talking, and th- this is where, you know, Georgia is setting up Vivian to go talk to Gavin for the first time in 10 years. And they just say, the Hall of Fame. And so in my brain, I just thought, oh, the Country Music Hall of Fame, that big, famous thing in Nashville. And then it, later on, it turns out, no, this multiple points in the movie, they are got back at the Musicians Hall of Fame. I would bet money that this uh, production company tried to get the Country Music Hall of Fame and could not afford the rate. I guess to put a, a finer point on all this, it feels like there's a lot of, they keep making these oblique references to it being in Nashville, that everything is either, that makes it important for it to be Nashville is either completely invented or is like the diet version of what they actually wanted. It's diet Nashville is what it is. That's that's very hallmark. Okay, so essentially now this is of course where we go back in time and figure out what we think they did wrong and try and rewrite it. And dude had some concepts that he thinks what went wrong is she when she entered the Christmas honky tonk, which is sort of where she first runs into Winona Judd. But but tell us, dude, what do you think should happen instead? <laughs> So what I think should happen is what I really felt in the bottom of my heart and was hoping for when I saw that scene, when when she's going backstage. It really starts with the aforementioned stage manager, Parker, when she finds this mysterious music box left on her director's chair. They both assume that it must be a prop for the, the show, and she opens it up, and there's music, and oh, I think it was Oh Come All Ye Faithful. And she's like, oh, that's the music, and her stage manager's like, what are you talking about? I I hear no music. What's going on? And she's like, oh, that's uh, strange. And then she goes backstage and opens a door and wait, hold on. This isn't one of the back storage rooms. This is a Christmas themed honky tonk somewhere down on Broadway in the middle of Nashville. What's going on? And she walks in and suddenly she's transported to a different world. And what I felt in my heart of hearts and what I was so hoping for and I knew would not be delivered on was that this was not a story of A Christmas Carol. This was absolutely the story of her slowly spiraling into stress-induced insanity from her overworked lifestyle. Which I actually think kind of is essentially the story of A Christmas Carol. I think we can have both. We just need more horror. And we sure as fuck need A Ghost of Christmas Future. Which is the most horrific of the ghosts. 
Yes, absolutely. In every iteration of A Christmas Carol, the Christmas future ghost is definitely the, the scariest. So, like, because like half the time it's just the Grim Reaper, man. So All we right. definitely need Winona Judd Grim Reaper, I think. Because <laughs> I also was expecting Winona Judd to have been the ghost of Christmas future the entire time. I don't know why that was the read. I kind of kept thinking like, oh, they're going to pull a bait and switch and it's going to be, I was the ghost of Christmas future all along. Don't end up like me, which she does say. Uh-huh. She's like, oh, don't, don't go down the path of being too career oriented and drive everyone you love away. Uh, and then end up dead. <laughs> which, which, so she like kind of fulfills the role, but like in a really non-committal, not horrific enough way. So we definitely need Winona Judd, Grim Reaper. And we definitely need to, I think what this would, how to structure this is like all these points where these ghosts keep coming, these spirits keep appearing in her life that she fully believes. A, a National Christmas Carol, as, we're, as we watched it, is what Vivian believes is happening. But what we are seeing extra to that and from the side is all of her friends and family getting more and more concerned for her well-being and like her clearly just going absolutely off the rails and we see her talking to Kix Brooks, and then we cut to Gavin looking at her, her just talking to the air. No one's there. I think that's step one in really putting a, a darker tone over Nashville on this one. Yes, definitely. So obviously it's her slow decline in talking to these ghosts and thinking she's traveling through space and time. And obviously we can. I like that you have this sort of outside view and we're just watching this happen. Where does she end up after she has traveled through space and time through these ghosts in her head? Does she is she in the hospital? Do they drug her? <laughs> what what happens? Are we going Let's full see. like Victorian asylum? I would you know, in and Mary will absolutely clock me for this is extremely predictable of me. I would dare say that maybe we let's kill two birds with one very grimstone tonight, everybody. Let's make this also more. A quintessentially Nashvillian, and by that I mean more quintessentially Southern in its character by merging the ideas of horror and has to be set in the South together to make that almost blessed of all genres, the Southern Gothic. So she definitely has to end up, I think what it is, is we need to see the, the whole idea with a good, with a good horror story or a good Gothic story. And like the whole thing that A Christmas Carol plays with and subverts at the end in terms of story structure is like, we see the logic, like the ghost, the entire point of the ghost of Christmas future is that it allows Scrooge to see the um, logical conclusion of his, of his material success and his miserliness, which is of course a lonely death. What we need to see is that we need to see the, the benefit she gains from her descent into stress induced madness and total alienation of everyone around her. What we need to see is Vivian hair, you know, undone and like going crazy and her, you know, bag eyed going absolutely bonkers in a giant abandoned, creepy vine covered Southern mansion somewhere. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like she has, she has become the top of the top of music, (laughs) music event production, but in exchange for her sanity and her ability to connect other human beings, and she has bought this creepy old Victorian mansion out on the edges of town. Hell yeah. Where she is going completely insane and is like absolutely one step away from being in a Flannery O'Connor novel. 
Or I maybe, was about to, maybe. Like, early on in this description, I was about to say you're describing a Christmas Carol by Flannery O'Connor. I, which well, is all I really want in this world, honestly. <laughs> well, I was going to say, so I think outside Nashville, there is a, there's a mansion called Disgraced Land. And it's, uh, it's like a piss take of Graceland, obviously. And it, I don't know the whole details, but maybe that's where they end up. And then I was also picturing maybe her sister is there too. Like those two crazy sisters that I, I you must know what I'm talking about, dude. Like, great. Yes. Yeah. And you're right. That's, that's totally. So Vivian and Georgia, <laughs> like maybe end up in that house together, all yeah. crazied up together. It is. This movie's best possible. Now that begs the question, okay, so is Georgia doing this, like, you know, like, hesitantly, like, in terms of, like, I have to take care of my sister, but I kind of hate her now that she's gone completely crazy, or has Georgia also gotten, gone crazy and things fell through some years ago with Parker, because Georgia has also now caught the crazies. I think that makes it far more interesting, but but I don't know. That would take potentially a long time to get there. I, I think it's that George is there for Vivian because there's this whole thing in the movie that we didn't really get into as much when we did the summary about, you know, their mother leaves them when they're kids and oh, yes. Vivian and her father, you know, give everything to make sure that George still has a childhood. And Vivian, like, devotes her life to making sure that Georgia still has Christmas and all this sort of thing. So it'll be this dark, twisted thing where the ultimate result of all of her like sacrifices for Georgia that she thought she was making selflessly were actually like tying Georgia to her through this sense of obligation to like that, see her through her madness and old age. That is perfect for the set. That's, that's like Faulknerian right there. Right. That absolutely results in this like very complex, twisted, sort of mutually destructive relationship between these two where they're still horrifyingly in their hate and their addled minds playing out the popcorn fight. But in, <laughs> right? That's right. But like, in this dark, creepy-ass manner where Vivian has like, completely lost it. Dark, twisted, bizarro world, like, rehash of the popcorn fight, but with, like, I don't know, their needlework or something. See, uh, I, I, think, <laughs> I think we close out the movie with Vivian having a popcorn fight by herself in a room. Oh shit! It's a little bit of the like, oh, a kind of like a same sort of vibe as the Psycho ending, where it exactly. Yeah. Just no. like watching her be insane, throwing popcorn at who she thinks is her sister, and her maybe we see her sister watching it. Yes. Oh man, that's good. What happens to Gavin though? Where does where does Gavin fit into this uh, mysterious? I think. She definitely has to, this has to result in Gavin's death somewhere along the way. Yes, Sorry to be does. super macabre, but, like, it definitely, like, she definitely has to, like, in a fit of later jealous and, like, spurned rage. And jealous not in, like, oh, because he's with somebody else or anything. No, but, like, her whole descent into malleability to deal with the world definitely has to result in her finding some way to get Gavin killed in some elaborate and overly, like, very overwrought sort of way. Hear me I, out. I, Hear I me out here. Me. Belinda does it. Mm. Oh, because she got bumped from the first slot. And Gavin didn't tell her, and she had to find out from Vivian, and she feels betrayed. So it's indirectly Vivian's fault, but Belinda does it. Maybe here's what it is. Gavin's death is ultimately what pushes Vivian 
is down the slide to crazy town. It works. Uh, yeah. Yes, for sure. It, there's, and there's this beautiful, and by beautiful, I mean extremely obvious and corny, parallel shot where, like, when Vivian accidentally spills the beans on the bad news to, to Belinda, they have this, like, shot, pulling back shot, tracking shot with, with Sarah, as Sarah Evans is, you know, kind of huffedly walking away from Vivian with Vivian, like, getting more and more, like, out of focus in the background, which is, like, literally beat for beat the exact same shot that we see of Vivian at the Christmas party where the horrid betrayal from Gavin nice. happens 10 years earlier. Like, they, they perfectly match those shots. And what is both somehow kind of clever and also extremely cornball, because that betrayal ultimately gets Gavin killed, and that's what finally is the she final straw that nuts. snaps. Yes. Whole shit. Good, a good Christmas carol is hard to find. A good Christmas carol is hard to find. That'll be the new title. Question, though. So I don't know how you guys feel about those, like, it was all a dream cop-out endings. However, should at the end this be Vivian's actual reality, or should this be what the ghost of Christmas future is showing her, and she has the chance to avert? Bring it back to a bit of niceness, I guess, in the end. I mean, it is Hallmark. Yeah. It could also be ambiguous. Like, the ghost of Christmas future could be offering her the chance to avert that, and there's some sort of ambiguous ending where we don't know if she takes that chance or not, or if the, the siren's call of the IMA cool is just mansion. too strong. The, the siren's call of cool-ass mansion. Right, the um, siren call yeah. of cool-ass mansion, exactly. Which, yes. I mean... Is hard to resist. So I think if you go the route of the insanity, Grey Gardens meets Psycho by Faulkner sort of era, uh, ending, if that is actually what the Ghost of Christmas Future, played again by Winona Judd, is showing Vivian at the end, and she has the chance to amend her ways, then that would be, A, both more accurate to how A Christmas Carol is. So we just solved its whole, like, you know, spin off of A Christmas Carol, and more Hallmark. Or if it's just there, like, if she either chooses to still go through with it and, you know, ends up going completely batty, or we just don't get shown that by the Ghost of Christmas Future, then that is just a very, very depressing sort of, like, that's that's a very Southern Gothic way of doing it. Here's where you split the uprights on this one, I think. To hold it both to A Christmas Carol, but also keep it nice and Gothic here, is to still let you do a little bit of a twist on a Christmas Carol is this is all that is what Vivian threw from the ghost of Christmas future. And then she tries to, you know, subvert it and try to change the future. And she ends up there anyway. There is no escape. That's extremely dark. Wow. It's deliciously dark. Next level. Total next level. All right. Well, I do think that definitely changes this movie. (laughs) 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 <laughs> it is a little bit so it's a little bit of a tone shift on this rewrite <laughs> but it's good it definitely would be shown on lifetime or one of those crazy discovery networks where they have like ghost hunters like id or something <laughs> this would be the I- id original christmas movie <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right i love it this, this is where the podcast this podcast takes its inevitable turn into being a true crime podcast <laughs> And, th- and then we will have so many different people we can have on it. It will be great. Well, we should probably move on to our last segment. So what we, how we usually end things around here is listing the movies that are premiering next weekend. And then we try and guess what they might be about. 
So next weekend on the Hallmark Countdown to Christmas. Sorry, let me pull this up. Yeah, I got it. Oh, you got it already? See, the thing is, this is the week of movies. So there's one every single night until after Thanksgiving. So Mm -hmm. let me just get to the Saturday, Sunday. So we have the Christmas Waltz. Just Christmas Waltz, not the... We have If I Only Had Christmas. And then the ones that are on next weekend on the other channel are USS Christmas. And time for us to come home for Christmas. USS Christmas definitely needs to be a World War II, like, Letters of Iwo, Letters from Iwo Jima movie. Oh, yes. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Like, it definitely has to be a Pacific Theater, like, naval war drama, but about Christmas. Because, <laughs> uh, of course, th- th- Pacific that's Pacific Theater, you naval war drama, but about Christmas. I'm into it. That, that would be, Matt would, would be all over that. That yeah, would be would. We'd, have to, we'd have to if that were actually what this is about. We'd have to bring Matt back on the show. He was just on last weekend with us. We sure. we would only be so lucky if it were that. I think the only thing that went through my brain when I heard a Christmas waltz is that it's just a movie about watching actor stage and screen Christoph waltz doing Christmas <laughs> with his family, and nothing remarkable happens. So we actually know what that one's about. Uh-huh. It was on the preview night. And I wish it were what you said. What it actually is is Lacey Chabert is stood up by her fiance but they had arranged for dance lessons together for their first dance. And she decides to take them anyways without him and falls in love with her dance instructor. Oh, of course. What was the title of that one that was like, if all we had was Christmas? Was that what it was called? If I only had Christmas. I have an idea of what that could be, but I want to hear y'all's ideas first. Oh, see, we know. So it's better you tell us. I actually don't remember. So I'll go with, uh, if it was on the preview night, I've honestly forgotten it already. But if I only oh had Christmas... Oh my god, Christmas, Mary, it was the most important one on the preview night. I can't believe you forgot that already. Most, no, the most important one was the one that starred a guy named Carlo Marx, but we've already missed that. <laughs> no, if we only had yeah. Christmas, I'm going to guess, not remembering it from the preview night, that Christmas is actually someone's name. Christmas is a lost dog, and they're looking for Christmas, and they can't find her. And if they only had Christmas, their Christmas would be complete. My right. guess. Say the name of it one more time. I want to make sure I get it right. If I only had Christmas. So I think if I only had Christmas is actually a supposition here. And the stress should it be <laughs> if I only had Christmas. Oh. Ooh, it's, like you had Christmas a, every day, like Groundhog Day? Yeah, exactly what I was going to say is it's Groundhog Day, but it's Christmas. Ah, if I only had Christmas. That's interesting. So, as Mary will, of course, remember after I say this, this is the movie starring CCB, Candace Cameron, that we believe is going to be some kind of spin on a previous film, which we we aren't quite sure which one yet. I thought it was It's a Wonderful Life. Sarah thought it was something else. I thought it was Wizard of Oz. All we know is that he and she ends up in an airport drinking a martini with a man who I believe to be like the Mr. Potter of the movie who she was going to fall in love with because that's how that movie worked. Oh, we're we're not sure. I thought it was like, if I only had a brain and therefore the Wizard of Oz, you know, if I only had courage, blah, blah, blah. But we couldn't quite tell from the preview even, but that's our theories. We're, we're, We're waiting to see. But she actually, but, like, specifically said on preview night, like, maybe you'll notice what, like, holiday favorite this is, like, an homage to. She didn't use the word homage. I can't remember what she said. And it was actually, like, not at all obvious what it was. They yeah. couldn't obviously say the name of the movie. Yeah. But, but regardless, 
Exactly. Regardless of what does happen in any of these movies, there's one thing we know for sure, Mary. And that is that they will fall in love. So tune in next week. We don't know which ones we're going to watch because there's too many to watch. And we're all having a little bit of break for Thanksgiving, hopefully. But um, we'll be back with something. So we'll see you then. And thank you so much, dude, for joining us. Thank you for having me. This was far more of a delight than I thought indulging in the Hallmark Christmas tradition would bring me. This has been a great time. Thank you so much. No, it was definitely good to take it in a totally different genre. And I can absolutely picture that Grey's Garden movie. I love it. Thank you for listening to Hallmark Doc. Find us online at hallmarkdop.com, on Instagram at hallmarkdop, and on Facebook at hallmarkdop with Mary and Sarah. Remember to follow, listen, and review wherever you get your podcasts.